Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and yes, we're back for another exciting Bundesliga season. So, joining me as always, I'm going to do proper intros today in case this is the first time you've ever tuned in ahead of the new season and all. Joining me, as always, you'll hear me say, is German football and Liverpool football club specialist, Chris Williams. Chris, how have you been? I'm very good, Bryce, thank you. And yes, welcome to a new season, uh, to all our listeners who have been with us, I think, for the past three, might even be nearly four years now. Um, and anyone else that's joined, uh, glad to have you on. And, and yeah, welcome. Yeah, I think this is us going into our fourth season. We did start mid-season, I think, the very first time we podcast, but four seasons, eh? Not too bad. Well, joining Chris and I, you'll find me also saying, as always, is a man that's um, created the Football Grad Network, a specialist in post-Soviet football and German football, Manu Vett. Manu, how have you been? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, Bryce. I had a little bit of a whirlwind weekend, um, 30 hours on a plane to watch 90 minutes of football. But yeah, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. It's it's been a been a lovely summer, but it feels like football hasn't been away that long, which is also nice. Maybe not so nice for you guys working away, but I, I think before we do anything else, we're gonna have to say happy birthday, Manu. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's it's a couple of days ago, um, and yeah, I spent my birthday actually in Dortmund um, at the DFL Super Cup. So that was a pretty pretty special way of doing it. So thank you. Yes, indeed. What a way to spend it. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about the DFL Super Cup. So we've seen Borussia Dortmund taking on Bayern Munich and Dortmund managed a 2-0 victory. That's right. We had goals in the first half from Alcazar, or sorry, in the second half from Alcazar and Sancho is 0-0 at halftime. This is obviously the start that um, you know, Favre is going to want going into the new season. Um, Chris, um, first of all, Dortmund are going to be delighted with this. And many people talk about, you know, especially in England or in the other leagues, that you know they, these first games uh, may not mean that much. But I would imagine that to Dortmund, and actually over the years, as we've seen, the, the German fans as well, you know, the, the Super Cup means an awful lot. So they're going to be delighted with this result. 
Yes, they will. And I think it differs slightly from last season's Super Cup, which was um, the traditional Super Cup, the winners of the league against the winners of the Pokal, the German um, Cup. Uh, this season, or sorry, the season, this Super Cup season, it was Bayern against Dortmund. And Dortmund were in it because they finished second, uh, with Bayern obviously winning the double, winning the Bundesliga and the DFB Pokal. So I think for Dortmund, who narrowly missed out on the league through, I'm going to say it, their own fault, really. Um, I think it will be crucial for them to get off to a flyer because everybody will know how they've strengthened over the summer. The players they've brought in, Julian Brandt, Thug and Hazard, I know didn't play. Um, Nico Schultz, um, obviously Mats Hummels has come back and Paco Alcázar has joined permanently after his um, season-long loan. So the players that they've got are sending out a real message. Um, we spoke last time on the pod. I, I personally think Dortmund have got a stronger side, stronger squad than Bayern. Um, and Dortmund will have wanted to hammer home this theory, this thing that they're going to go all out and win the title this year and stop Bayern winning it again, which would be the eighth time on the trot. Um, nobody wants that. I think don't even think Bayern want that. They'll probably want a bit of a change. Um, but it's a real important message. And yeah, I do think these games are important, no matter what league you're in. Some people will say it's a friendly. Some people will say it's a curtain raiser. Um, it's not, especially when it's played between the biggest two teams. It's an indication, and the indication we got from that um, particular game is that Dortmund looked very strong and Bayern still need to do a little bit more. Yes, indeed, it would appear that way. I mean, Manu, was that evidence on the field? Um, I mean, you were there in person to see every bit of action. I mean, how did you rate the game and the performances of both sides? Yeah, I thought that actually Bayern had the better chances in the first half. And um, Chris is quite right. It's um, It was definitely more than a friendly, especially this time around. And I think there's this joke in Germany that the winner says it's, it's an important match and the loser says it was just a friendly. But I think this time around it was, um, it was a very important match because both sides kind of could sort of show where they're at. I mean, yes, they were into training. Um, I actually shared... Um, the the box with Lothar Matthäus for this match and was able to chat with him a little bit throughout the game and he he pointed out to me that a week ahead of the game uh, this week leading into this game and I know Dortmund actually arrived the day before the Super Cup back from uh, their training camp in Austria they were doing some really hard training leading into this game so it's it's different in a Bundesliga match it's different in a cup match right but at the same time, you could really sense that even though they had tired legs, even though the chemistry wasn't 100% there, both teams went into this game really full throttle. And I think that Bayern actually had the better chances in that first half and um, that they both took this game very, very serious. What I thought was really interesting, and um, I think this is something this is something that we can discuss in great length, right? As a prelude... Um, Dortmund really showed that they're further in their development, a lot further. I mean, they got most of their shopping done in May, um, whereas Bayern are still shopping, and we're going to talk about that in great length as well, right? But um, it was really interesting because we looked we looked at the bench, and Lothar Matthäus just said to me, look at the bench, Dortmund are going to win this game in the second half because they're just much deeper. And they are, and you have to remember too, the only new signing in the side for this game was Nico Schulz. Um, Hummels said the day before that he couldn't play because of an injury, so they didn't want to risk it. Again, this is this plays into this. It's not a full competitive match, but it sort of is kind of theme. Uh, Thorgan Hazard didn't play. Julian Brandt didn't play, and yet they're still this the side that they uh, played this match with 
was top. Um, I missed out Roman Berkey. Yeah, Roman Berkey didn't play either. So, you know, keeping that in mind, that was a very, still a very strong side that um, Dortmund could feel. And Bayern's side, of course, was very strong as well. But, you know, there wasn't much that they could do from the bench. Pavard came on. Renato Sanchez came on and really playing a really weird kind of left-wing role together with Davis on the on the left. Um, so it's just kind of, you really get a sense that at this stage, the season starts in two weeks, that Dortmund are much further in their development and this game really highlighted it. And Manu, just to talk about something that no doubt will come up plenty of times this season, it always seems to. VAR, another controversy right at the start of the season for us. Well, when you look at the our friend uh, Stefan Buschko and his yellow wall part there, there was more than one controversy, right? Um, I think he had like an entire video thread going on on Twitter pointing out all the the things the quote-unquote evil empire Bayern is doing um, to do unhinged referees. I think the Kimmich incident, um, I know, Chris, you and I briefly chatted um, about this during the game. Uh, I, I think if that goes to VAR, and this look at it at the screen, the only decision can be a red card. That's my point of view. Oh, uh, yeah, most definitely, because what Kimmich does is he, he deliberately stamps or he deliberately stands on Sancho's ankle, um, which is, is you know, it's violent conduct, which is an automatic um, dismissal red card offence. I was surprised it didn't go to VAR because um, that's exactly the type of thing that VAR was brought in for, um, you know, yellow cards to red cards or the other way around, should that red card actually be in a yellow. This is the sort of thing that the, the whole thing was brought in for, real game-changing incidents. So, you know, a goal is a game-changing incident. Whether a player is sent off or not is a game-changing incident. Um, so for this, it, for me, it sh- VAR should have stepped in and said, actually, we think you might have made a mistake there with that yellow card. Um, from what we've seen, it potentially looks a red for violent conduct. You know, have take a look at the screen, see what you think. And had the referee re looked at it, I, I think he gets he, he goes and realizes his error, um, and and it's a red card. And yeah, it's it's a strange one because this is what VAR's brought in for. And you know, if you're just new to the Bundesliga, it's not like the Premier League where this is going to be the first season coming the Premier League will have VAR. It's been in Germany for a few seasons now. In fact, it was trialed in Germany first um, with some of the other leagues. So. This is the sort of basic incident that the um, DFL and the DFB referee should be all over. So this actually did go to VAR, Chris. Um, and that makes it even worse, in my opinion. Because like, when you go to VAR and you see the incident, then you have to give red, right? Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely you should have done. And yeah, my mistake, I can see it going. I can remember it now getting flashed upon the um, screens inside the stadium. Um, and it should have done. I mean... Whether it went to VAR and you know they've had a conversation and the referee said because he doesn't have to take the on-field review he can be but he should be taking the on-field review if he's given the opportunity that's this is where the problem goes if the VAR said to him we think this might be a red and he's like no I'm happy it's a yellow then there's actually no point in VAR being there because it's it's there to help the referee by giving them a second option should they need it yeah the the DFL actually or sorry the DFB. Not that DFL actually admitted um, that they may have made a mistake in this one. And then I got this quote from Jochen Dres. Um, of course, I'm translating. For some referees, VAR is still um, 
it's still a new land. Um, so sort of like it's new, still something new for them. I mean, Chris, you rightfully pointed out it's been around now for two years. Sorry, but it, when you look at that, when you look at that replay, there can only be one. Once one thing can only come out of it, and that's a red card. And you know what? And I understand why Dortmund fans are upset about it because there's been now so many high-profile games where that decision went to Bayern. And I'm not one for controversy, uh, con- like these like these conspiracy theories that uh, Bayern always get the they the right cause because I, I don't think they do. But it does kind of seem like it is something that Dortmund fans can feel really aggrieved about. I think it's definitely something they can feel aggrieved about. Um, and I'm with you. I don't think there is a big conspiracy theory. I mean, both me and you were at the DFB Pokal the season before when <laughs> Bayern were pretty much undone by VAR when, you know, it should have ruled in their favour and it didn't. And they went on to be beaten 3-1. And that came at an exceptionally crucial time in a game where it could have gone to 2-2 and it's a very different game then. Um, so, yeah, I'm not onto the conspiracy theory, but... I do think that, and I'm glad the DFL have come out or the DFB have come out because it's brought in for subjective decisions like that. Complete absolutes, offside, was the ball in and out of play? Where was the position on the pitch? That is a complete absolute. The referee doesn't need to look at a screen for that. Um, He can just be told by the assistant, the VAR, the video assistant referee can just say, yeah, I've had a look. He was 100% offside. It doesn't even need to check. But for subjective decisions... That's what it's there for. It's there to be told. You might just want to have a look again. And for it to be dismissed out of hand, no, I don't need to, or we're not going to bother with it, that really flies in the face of all the technology. And I know there'll be listeners who don't like VAR. I will say it, and I'll say it again, and you'll hear me say it probably every week when we talk about it. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the technology. It's the way it's implemented by the human. Yeah, and we saw that at the Women's World Cup plenty of time, right? Um, and sometimes it's not just the, the human element that it gets it wrong, but sometimes, I mean, the laws, just the way the laws of the game, if you interpret them right, which video assistance refereeing does make it possible to get it 100% right, um, offside is, is a beautiful one, right? You can't just be a little bit offside. You either are or you're not, Right. And I think if it's if it's something like that, and you step on someone's foot, I think the the EFAB, I'm, I don't have my my app handy at the moment, I, but I'm pretty sure it's quite clear on what the decision on something like that has to be, and that's a red card. One hundred percent is it's um, it's it's violent conduct. The stamp is violent conduct. It's a red card all day, and that's what it that's what it should have been. But I mean, let's not let this one incident detract from what was a great game at the end of it, especially if you're a Dortmund fan. I mean. For Bayern fans, had Kimmich been sent off, that would have been um, a trio of, of bad bad events for them that happened that day. But guys, I mean, we're we're talking about a VAR um, incident um, already, and uh, as you rightfully said, Chris, you know the technology is fine; it's the personnel using it. I mean, do you think the DFB are going to do anything after this early warning sign, you know, to to possibly change that? I mean, it's they've not got long left to go if they do decide to change anything or update the personnel using it? I mean, what, what is the answer here? Well, referees um, on, on an, in any league, in any nation, on any continent, in any confederation, get assessed after every game. So um, especially 
beating top leagues, if you're kicking a ball around on a Sunday park, you, your referee might get assessed once or twice a season. But um, in the Bundesliga, there'll be a referee assessor for, for every single game. So there's someone from the DFB will be sitting in the stands and they will assess the referee's performance on a set criteria. And this will have been highlighted. The referees, once they get changed, they don't just get in a car and drive home. They have a debrief or if they don't get it, then they will generally get it the next day. Um, from the referee's assessor and they'll go through and it'll be really bone things like your positioning was poor here for this goal kick um, your positioning was poor here you weren't able to see your um, assistant doesn't matter too much these days with headsets but they are still very keen on position and they will have looked at this again they will have gone look this is a definite red card offense you showed it as a yellow you know they will go back over the communication over the headset and they will work out where the mistake was um, and they will they will issue a directive over it. So um, the directive's already there. This is the frustrating thing. The directive's already there. If there's any doubt um, that creeps in, you were to do an on-field review. Straight away, it's not a problem. It's, an on-field review should take place. Um, but it's got to be for any doubt. That's why there was too many on-field reviews at one point. And the DFB stepped in again and said, there's too many. You should be trusting your um, assistant. If they're saying it's offside or you know, this is um, a particular incident, then you should trust them and do that. And maybe we've gone a little bit too much the other way. And, and I do feel sorry for the referees because they're never going to get it 100%. VAR is not 100% um, solution. Um, it takes from a 96% solution up to a 98 um, But it's it's game-changing decisions like this. So what's going to happen in the future? They'll, they'll just be reiterated to Bryce and told again that for instances such as that, for a game-changing decision when VAR is used, if your assistant says, um, if your VAR assistant or your video referee assistant says, um, you need to look at this again, then that's what it should have done. If it's come from the VAR, if it's the VAR issue, if he's gone, yeah, I've had a look, I, don't, I think yellow card's the same thing, then the referees will be reminded of the laws of the game, which is violent conduct's a red card. Um, and it's a learning process. And, you know, it, it'll go through it. Um, let's, you know, be thankful that it's not really a big thing. If this was the first few minutes of a cup final, DFB Pokal final, then that's a massive problem. If Bayern go on to win the game and Kimmich um, creates the first goal and then scores the second, that becomes a real problem. And that's the danger here. They've got away with it. The the refereeing team got away with it because it didn't really mean anything. But you know, we've seen plenty of times when players should have been sent off before VAR came in. And they've gone on to have a game-changing um, problem or game-changing input later on. They provided the, the shot or the winning goal themselves. So, yeah, it, it's constant. Um, it's a constant learning process for the referees. And this will be looked at. And I'll be very surprised, Bryce, if we see this again this season. Well, I really hope so. I'm sure the three of us do and any other uh, listeners. But um, let's get back to uh, talking about the, um, the, the actual sides and... Uh, Manu, you said that uh, you feel that Dortmund are in a better position going into uh, the, the start of the season, which is fast approaching. Um, what exactly do you think uh, Bayern Munich need to do? I mean, R Robert Lewandowski has been very critical, um, saying that he thinks that they need three or four more players. I mean, they've got a, a DFB Pokal game coming up against Energy Cottbus um, on the 12th. Um, quickly followed by the start of the season, the season opener being at home to Hertha Berlin. What needs to be done in that time, do you feel? 
Yeah, so first of all, Robert Lewandowski actually said it into my phone. Um, it's it's great having players say what they think, and we don't often get that anymore. Um, so the quote that you see in front of your document is actually a quote I directly got from him. And I was very surprised on how frank he was, but I think... Three or four players is a lot on new players, and I don't think they're going to get that many, to be quite honest. And I don't think they, Kovac wants that many because that means that he would have to bench too many players, which leads to the the usual problems at Bayern Munich. But Lewandowski is someone who always pushes the club agenda um, very harshly because he wants, he he's, of course, still a little sour about the fact that even though he got Pini Sahavi as the new agent, that he's not wasn't able to um, get that transfer to Real Madrid, right? The the big transfer that everyone was talking about and then never really materialized simply because Bayern is not a seller's club. So um, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, and this is actually a true story, when Zahavi first became Lewandowski's agent, simply refused to talk to him. You know, they wouldn't, they literally did not open the door for him. So um, Lewandowski is now pretty much confined to the fact that he will stay at Bayern. So as a result, he really pushes the agenda that they, he, he has maybe two or three years left to win the Champions League, right? So that's really, that's his personal goal. Uh, for a player from Poland, there isn't that many that had they got their hands on that trophy. It would be something that would put him when he retires, maybe the biggest, the best Polish player ever, right, to play the game. Um, so it's a, almost a legacy thing for him. So that also makes him push very hard inside the dressing room, but also with the decision makers at Bayern to them to strengthen the squad to such an extent that they are actually competitive, not just in the Bundesliga. And that, that's a big question mark because right now I don't think that they are as competitive as Dortmund, but also in the Champions League. And I mean, I, when you look at that current side, they have 16 players plus four youth players. That's definitely not enough to be competitive in three competitions. And I agree with him there 100%. But the big problem, you know, I think maybe they should have signed three or four players. Um, but they're putting all the eggs into one basket, it seems. And while, I mean, we don't need to drum around the bush too much. We all know they're after Leroy Sané. Um, it seems like that, um, or I've, I've heard, from sources close to Bayern, um, reliable sources, that Leroy Sané has made a decision that he wants to leave Manchester City and wants to join Bayern. So it's really just about Bayern and Man City hammering out the deals of this transfer. And it's going to be a big transfer. And you remember, Bayern are not like Man City or that can just go to the Sheik and ask for more money. They're not like Real Madrid and can generate an enormous amount of debt to, to finance transfers or Barcelona do the same or Atletico Madrid do the same. They have to generate every penny themselves and because of the very strict rules in licensing in the Bundesliga, you cannot run debt. So they have what they are spending. They have to generate themselves and they can only spend what they earn. And a hundred, I heard, I heard that Man City could potentially ask for Usman Dembele money, which is their good right. Um, that is a big outlay considering that would be at around 105 million euros plus bonuses plus the 100 million that Leroy Sané would earn over the next four to five years. It's a big amount of money and that would not necessarily leave a lot of money for this season to spend on the squad. No, definitely not. Um, Chris Williams, uh, just to go to you, obviously, um, 
you watch plenty of uh, Premier League football as well, um, being you know, a specialist, not in G- state German football, but um, in Liverpool Football Club as well. So I would imagine that you've seen plenty of uh, Leroy Sané. I mean, what exactly uh, would he add to Bayern Munich? And w- would that one player, if that was all that they managed to get in by the time the transfer window was like, shut, would he be a big enough player to make all the difference for Bayern? Um, I think he would um, bring a lot because he's a very talented player and you're quite right. Um, I cover Liverpool outside of covering um, the Bundesliga and I would be ecstatically happy to see Leroy Sané leave Manchester City because I think he's a fantastic player. Um, what would he offer Bayern? Well, you know, uh, he's just exceptional going forward. Um, if we look at, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, but if you look at the sort of players that um, German sides are buying, um, Jaden Sancho, um, Luckman, um, they all seem to be a very typical um, speedy winger type that Germany has almost failed to produce their own. Well, they've got their own in Leroy Sane, who's wonderful um, in attack, um, especially from, from the wide areas, and he can also cut centrally as well. So I think that's why Bayern want him. Um, and they do have a lot of, of good players who can play out on the wing, Kingsley Coman, Serge Gnabry, but they've had their problems um, also with injury. So I think he would bring some squad depth, and it's a lot of money for them to spend. And both by, uh, both both Bayern, both Manu and I have said over the past few years of this podcast that Bayern do have a lot of money, but we need to remember um, you know, the money that they've just outlaid on certain players that are coming in anyway. Um, so should they end... The transfer window without getting Leroy Sane, I think it would be a failure because they have gone all legs um, in one basket. It's not the first time they did it. They did it for Callum Hudson-Odoi um, in um, earlier on in the year, and they were told no. Um, for them not to get Leroy Sane, I think would would be a real problem. Now he obviously left the pitch um, on Sunday in the English FA Community Shield, but. I don't think it's going to be a major injury for him. We could just see a little bit more trying to haggle a price down. Um, but Bayern are going to have to pay up if they want the player. I mean, if you look at his age and how long he could be at the top of the game for, you're going to look at the that price over the next eight, nine, ten years, and that makes real good business sense to me. It's just whether they've got the stomach um, to spend what is an exceptional large amount on one player, especially if you look around the league look at some of the other teams in the league um, Hertha Berlin have just come into a bit of money um, Augsburg, Mainz they're never going to spend that type of money and it will just show the disparity between the very top um, and the rest of the league unfortunately for the rest of the league but as far as Bayern are concerned I do think they need to bring in Leroy Sane to maybe bring themselves up to a level that Dortmund now find them at and most definitely for the Champions League um, I covered them last season I saw them go out in front of my own eyes um, and yeah, I think they do need a bolster. I think they're lacking in certain quality areas, which will preclude them from going the full distance in the Champions League. And just very quickly, Manu, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, again, and this is something that I discussed with Lothar Matthäus, and I know the and SB Nation guys um, published some of the quotes because they were sitting in with that conversation. Um, and I think that, in midfield, they have a lot of options. Um, I still think that Rodrigo is the player that they needed almost more, but he, of course, went to Man City um, simply because I do think that you need an impact player in midfield. Um, Lewandowski, 
keeps pointing towards them needing to sign an extra striker. Now, I, I actually li really like what I saw from uh, Fita Arp at the ICC, the competition that Chris and I cover, um, covered this summer and still cover, you know, keep on covering. And and um, I, I really like what I saw from him. I think he's a lot further in the development that he is. But I think, again, um, the pressure is from inside the dressing room and someone like Lewandowski wanting world stars around him. Um, and Leroy Zane is is a big signing as a big I, I have I think he is worth any every penny too by the way this is not me being critical of Bayern making that one signing I just think that even adding just the one player will only bring their squad up to what is it now 16 plus the four youth stars to 17 plus the four youth stars that's still not a very deep squad and the question then is do you still have money to then I think they need a backup striker um, I think that they you know, they need to bring in someone who can play that Lewandowski role. They don't have anyone else. Arp was very good on the wing, but he's is he is he already there to play, you know, in a big Champions League game? I don't think so. And um, Serge Gnabry and Coman miss a lot of games. So if the two of them are out, then you only have Sané. Um, yes, Davies has made a big step. And there's an interview that I did with Mateos on Leroy Sané and uh, on Alfonso Davies. And we... we he agrees that he is a player for the future, but um, all of a sudden is he has to play 20, 30 games over full 90 minutes. I'm not quite sure he's quite there yet in his development. So you might actually need a second winger as well. And that's that's the question. Will this transfer tie their hands until next next summer? And I think it very well might do just that. Um, and that's a really, really big financial risk because... You know, what happens now if they sign him and they find out, and I, I think they're going to sign him no matter what the injury is at the FA Cup, but what if they sign him and they find out he's going to be out for the next six months, right? I mean, that is that is just something that I think we need to keep in mind a little bit. Yeah, we'll just have to see how that one unfolds and for what cost possibly for Bayern. Um, Chris, um, just before we move on to the uh, rest of the league, um, it, it, can we say that Dortmund are finished in the transfer window? <laughs> um, yeah, do I? Well, <laughs> they're always looking as well. You know, what's happening with Timo Werner, by the way? It, it looks like he's not going to sign with um, Leipzig. I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me <laughs> to see. Um, wouldn't surprise me to see um, Dortmund make a cheeky bid for him if it, if he becomes available. But I do think they're pretty much done um, in a way that. They got the business done so early that everybody's forgot. I mean, if you can get all your transfer business done by, which I think it was June, before the window really even opened, they were done. It was just announced. Um, and then the players formally joined when the window was open. I, I'm a big fan of, of that. I think that's the best way to go because everybody knows what's happening going forward and, and you've got a really strong squad. Um, I mean, as, as long as the window's open, I think clubs will always be interested. And if somebody fits their model and fits their profile and all of a sudden they become available, um, I think that Dortmund would go and, and make that sign-in. Um, whether they find anybody that can do that is a different question. Manu, I thought uh, Timo Werner was going to Everton, no? I've completely forgotten about Timo Werner. No, honestly, I think there is a man that's really unhappy about the whole Leroy Sané story because I think we all anticipated that Bayern would spend the money on Werner and they've sort of kind of put that on the back burner and said, okay, well, we can always get him on a free next year. Um, 
typical Bayern fashion almost, right? Just taking it for granted. And I know that the, the Timo Werner camp is not exactly happy about Leroy Sané and uh, the fact that Bayern are going all in for Leroy Sané and have more or less put his transfer on the back burner because it puts him in a very difficult situation. Um, I don't think Werner will go to Everton. Um, he wants to play Champions League football and I think there's no team outside the top six in the Premier League that will ever break into that top six. It's simply not going to happen. The, the economics of that league make it impossible. So um, I don't think he's going to sign for anyone outside of that top six. And um, I can't see any of the top six clubs making a deal in the next three days for Timo Werner. Um, I'd be massively surprised. Um, I, I know a lot of people are thinking maybe Liverpool, but um, I, I just don't know. Um, three days is not a lot of time. Um, but yeah, it, it puts him in a difficult situation. Um, I think Dortmund were very interested. And I know that Leipzig have sort of get, they put the, what's it, the reverse of a come get me plea. Play sign him, plea, um, sort of because they they now, of course, are worried that they're going to lose him on a free transfer, which um, they need the money for financial fair play reasons, right? In order for them to make signings, um, of course, Red Bull could just give them a bunch of money, but financial fair play makes it pretty much impossible. They need, if they lose the player, they need something in return in order to reinvest because right now they, they are limited to natural growth. Uh, so that puts them in a very difficult situation. Yes, indeed. And let's talk about uh, RB Leipzig then a little. Uh, Chris, uh, it looks like um, they're going to be rather happy with uh, finally signing uh, Ademola Lukman uh, from Everton. This is a deal that we thought may have went through last summer, but um, he hung on a little bit longer in Liverpool, didn't he? Uh, but uh, how big a signing might this be for well, for RB Leipzig, but also possibly Lookman himself. He'll finally get some uh, game time. And last time he was there, I, I believe it was five goals in 11 games, which isn't bad going, eh? Yeah, he's, he's a frightening prospect. Um, I'm trying to struggle to remember. Mano, we, it was both me and you were in at Hertha Berlin for that game, wasn't it? The final game of the season where, um, yeah, where Lookman um, was fantastic and he almost got man of the match. Um Apart from, I think it was two goals by Augustin ended up pinching it off him. But um, yeah, he's a perfect fit for this Leipzig model of young players, young talented players um, who they can buy and then maybe potentially sign on for a lot more, sorry, sell on for a lot more later on. Um, it, it fits their model. And yeah, he never really fitted in um, to Marco Silva's plans at Everton, whether you know, we know people at Everton who, who told us there was a problem with his temperament, but then you speak to somebody else at the club who said there's nothing wrong with his temperament. So there's there's maybe a few unanswered questions there, but whichever way you want to look at it, um, Adam Ola-Luckman and Everton was, was a bit of a square peg in a round hole. Um, at Leipzig, it looks to be the opposite of that. It looks to be a really good fit. Um, I'll be interested to know whether they actually took his name off the locker in Kotterweg. Um But it, it's funny how that when teams don't really publicly pursue a player and don't use overt pressure, uh, they get what they want. I think Leipzig might have, have learned a little bit from, from this deal because they probably could have got him last season, but they just annoyed Everton with uh, Instagram stuff, with his name still on the locker, players saying, when you come in, bro, all that sort of stuff. The, the, the news they were pushing out, the the signs they were given saying, you know, Luckman's hours, etc. I think... Everton stood strong, um, which I think clubs need to sometimes. They need to say to players, no, you're under a contract, you'll leave when we say. Um, but they finally got their man. And 
they've done well because obviously Ralph Hassenhuttle is at Southampton, who's a fantastic coach and a big admirer of Luckman. So I think they may have been a little bit worried at one point whether he might actually go down to Southampton and get the same sort of game time, playing in the same sort of system. Um, but yeah, he, he does love Germany and, and he's he'll be happy to go back and you know, Leipzig is a wonderful place to go to. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Who do you who you alluding to there, Chris? Who? Sorry. <laughs> what do you mean you shouldn't pursue players via Instagram and Twitter stories and public statements? <laughs> I, I cannot possibly know who you who you're talking about. I mean, it could be anybody. You could literally put any club in that. But yeah, I mean, last season, um, especially last summer, there was all the shots from Cotterweg with Luckman's name still on the locker and and players. Um, putting that on social media, saying when are you coming back, and you know the the flame lit signal, um, and it happens all over. And, and I mean, Bayern have done it a little bit. Uh, Premier League teams are guilty of it. Barcelona are horrendous for it. Um, so yeah, sometimes all you do, all you succeed in doing, is annoying the selling club in inverted commas, and that's probably not the best way to go. No, it really isn't. I think uh, in in this case, it it really hurt. But on the other hand, um, Leipzig actually got him for a lot less than they would have had to pay last year. Uh, I hear that, you know, 18, 18 million euros, um, I feel is almost like a steal to sign this player because he's going to solve a bunch of problems for them. Yeah, it is most definitely. Um, and yeah, I think that's because although they didn't get their man at the time, it's probably helped them that he went back to Everton and wasn't given a shot. I don't want to say he didn't perform because whenever I watched Everton play with him in the side, I thought he was a good player. But he certainly didn't go back to Everton and was, became a starting eleven player who set the Premier League alight in a similar way to he made an impression when he went into the Bundesliga. I think um, Leipzig would have had to pay a lot more. So it's probably thankful for them that he went back and, and pretty much went into obscurity so they were able to get the player they wanted for a lot less money 12 months later. Yeah, that's it. I mean, he only got three starts at Everton last season, so it's probably a good move for the club and player, if being honest. Um, Manu, let's talk about another side that will be, or should be anyway, playing a Champions League football as they managed to just about pip it and get fourth at Bayer Leverkusen. They've been rather active in the transfer window, haven't they? Yeah, they, they just signed um, Amiri um, on top of Demi Bay from Hoffenheim and then they signed Yabi from PSG, another young player leaving PSG with lots of talent. And then Sinkraven from Ajax, 
So um, the, Peter Bosch getting essentially the four players that he really wanted and also maybe preparing the side a little bit, um, A, replacing Julian Brandt, right? But B, also preparing the side for Kai Havertz's departure next summer because we all know he's going to go. And I, I, I think that they've actually done very well. I mean, they spent 9 million euros for Nadim Amiri, a youth international, um, won the U21 European Championships last year, came second with Germany this year. Um, I, I think that they, they're looking very good. But before you ask me, Bryce, no, they will not win the German Championship. Oh, come on. For anyone that doesn't know, Manu Ahmed tipped them to win the league yeah, last yeah. year. And <laughs> uh, and <laughs> when it came to the uh, winter break, things were looking rather grim, weren't they? It was an awful start by Leverkusen last year. And you just feel that they had have been even half as good as they were in the second half of the season. You know, they, they would have been... Well, they would. Who knows where they could have finished? But um, yeah, a good start this season will be uh, very, uh, very much needed by them if they want to get anywhere near what Manu predicted last season. Um, Chris, so um, if we move on to Hoffenheim, well, we've seen one of the, their prized possessions uh, in Jolinton move all the way to Newcastle. Nobody really seen this uh, coming. And when I say that, I mean Newcastle actually spending money on anyone. Uh, But uh, Hoffenheim are obviously benefiting from it. Uh, The side have almost uh, raised 100 million euros. Um, Do you think that they're going to spend a bit of that money now before the transfer window's up? And how do you see their season going now that um, obviously Nagelsmann has uh, left them and he's went to RB Leipzig? I sort of fear for Hoffenheim because they've had an exodus of talent um, and they've brought a few players in. They've had a lot of players return um, back from loan, um, players who were out at loan at other clubs. Okay, they spent a bit of money. Um, they brought um, Robert Scovin from Copenhagen. but He's going to have to play really, really well and, and they're going to have to hope that these players they've brought in for maybe... Buttons, really. I mean, they brought in a, a player from Hanover who were just horrendous last season. Let's look who they've lost. Um, they've lost Joe Linton. They've lost um, Kareem Demenbebre, who, who I loved watching last season. Nico Schultz is a great defender. Um, Manners just mentioned um, Ladima Miri. These are really good players that they've lost. Um, and they've also lost one of the most talented youth coaches in Europe. Um, I genuinely feel that it could be the end of the road for Hoffenheim in the Bundesliga. Um, I think they could have a real problem next season because I just can't see when you lose four, five really good players and a coach, I think it's almost too much of a hurdle to overcome. Now, maybe I'll be proved wrong. (laughs) Maybe they might go and qualify for Champions League, Bryce. You never know. But I've got a feeling that the only thing Hoffenheim will be fighting for this coming season is their survival. Ooh, uh, big prediction from uh, Chris there, Manu. How do you feel? Do you feel that Hoffenheim, it's, it's almost too many changes and well, maybe not enough improvement then added to the squad? I mean, as Chris uh, mentioned, you know, they've, they've lost four or five really big, big names in that dressing room. Yeah, although I have heard very good things about Robert Scoff, Ilas Bebo, of course, he has 
a lot of potential. Um, we saw it at times, question is, is he going to stay healthy? They are very good at uncovering players. You know, we all remember when they sold Roberto Firmino, of course, to to Liverpool and um, actually signed at the time, Joe Linton. And, you know, he sees seven goals, seven assists. If you can convert seven goals and seven assists to 30, 44 million euros, I think we all would do it. Um I can understand why where Chris is coming from. I really can. Um, you know, we can't forget that they also brought back Sebastian Rudi. I think there's a lot of question marks going into the seasons, and it's something that cannot work out really well. Alfred Schröder, I, I spoke to someone actually during this weekend um, who does the, anal- does the analytics for 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 Hoffenheim, and they were saying how similar his work is to Nagelsmann's works. But it's, it's an unknown, right? And these things can go well. But they can also go very badly. And I, I think um, they're probably one of the sides with the biggest question marks um, going into the season. I think they, it's it's all going to depend on how they can compensate. I, I think Joe Linton is not even a problem. Him leaving is not even that big of a problem. It's all the midfield players, right? That's always the most important part of, of your side. And if they can compensate Demi Bai and Amiri both leaving, that's a big question mark for me. And let's not forget Reese Nelson, who I thought had a great time um, uh, on loan. He had a little bit of a problem that he sort of sorted out with Nagelsmann. And, but whilst he was there, I thought he was, he was, his impact was brilliant. He's gone back to Arsenal um, and will probably be a key player under their squad for next season. So, I mean, if we just look, if you're selling players and you get £100 million in and you're only spending 18 I think you've either had to have bought exceptionally well um, and your scouting department is now one of the best in the world or you're playing with fire. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of change there and um, there's a lot of, as Manu said, you know, he's heard good things, so the potential is there in some of the players and the coaches, but it's a lot of what-ifs, right? So we'll have to just see how that pans out for um, Hoffenheim. Tough times ahead, potentially. But um, one man who's uh, moved to the uh, Bundesliga on a permanent basis is uh, Dodai. I was hoping to get that bit right. Never mind a second name. Luki Bacchio, who um, joins Hertha Berlin on a permanent basis. Um, we all remember um, him last year. Um, not just uh, getting 10 goals in the league, but... Um, getting a hat-trick against Bayern Munich. Um, He's obviously going to face Bayern Munich in the opening day of the season uh, on that Friday night. Um, Manu, can he potentially get another three? Uh, First of all, I think this is a big deal. Um, It's it's a very, very big deal. Um, Hertha is starting to spend some of the Windhorst money and they're spending it smartly. Luka Baku was probably one of the breakout stars, if not the breakout star last year, right? And for the Fortuna Düsseldorf, just impossible to keep him. He had to go and spend 20 million euros on him. And I think this is a really, real smart investment. Um, I like the signing. Of all the non-top team signings, this is my favorite one because um, he has the potential to become a real big star. Not just this in this league, but just in general. If he if if he can work in that system at Hertha, um, I think that there is something very special going on there. And I I think it also shows that Hertha, with the Windhorst money, remember we spoke about that in our season midsummer update a couple of weeks ago, and the amount of money that's coming in. Um, I think that does. They didn't spend all of that money on one player, but they spent a fifth of that money of the first tranche of money that they're getting 
on Luke Bakio and um, yeah, I, I like this. I like this transfer a lot. Just look at the highlight reels last year with Fortuna Düsseldorf. Give him a good support team. Um, I think he could be a real key piece in then finally getting more more out of this Hertha side all overall, right? And I think they needed almost a bit of a star signing to, to just maybe also just do better in their local market. And um, I think he has the potential to do just that and also make it attractive for other players to come there. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think uh, you know, for for twenty million, you know, at the age of twenty one, making a twenty two um, appearances or sorry, twenty two starts in the Bundesliga last year for um, you know for a side that weren't exactly you know challenging for Europe or the top end of the table and getting ten goals, I think that's. That's a pretty good bit of business there, I think, uh, from Hertha Berlin. So, um, yeah, one to watch, I think, going forward. Um, Chris, uh, it's it's crazy to believe, isn't it? But um, European uh, qualification is upon us as well rather soon. And we've got uh, Eintracht Frankfurt are going to take on FC Vaduz. I don't know whether I'm pronouncing that right, but I did read that they're a Lithuanian side playing in the Swiss League. This is going to be a game I would imagine Eintracht will uh, fancy themselves um, in. Yeah, the um, the European qualification started a while back. We had the preliminaries um, and then the first round proper and, and then the, the third round is is where it's all at and teams are now vying to either get into the Europa League proper or to the Champions League group stages. So, yeah, I think I, if I'm right, the Champions League um, qualification started. Was it two weeks after the final took place? Because the final was the first of June, um, and and the you know there's, there's hardly any break in football anymore. Um, but yeah, you would expect Frankfurt, especially after their run last season, um, to easily navigate um, these couple of qualifiers and then get into the group stage. But they have lost some really key players. Um, Mostly Luka Jovic, who obviously has gone to Real Madrid, and Sebastian Haller, who's gone to West Ham and has already started to show his worth in a couple of preseason games. So it's going to be um, it's going to be difficult for Frankfurt. But um, if you're new to the podcast and you're new to German football, there's one thing that you should know: is that when it comes to uncovering talent, very cheap, either on loan or players who are not wanted at other clubs, um, Freddy Bobic, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, the guy who's responsible for bringing in talent has got an exceptional eye for this. So if there's one club that could lose um, players like Haller and Jovic and be all right with it because their scouting and their um, their attraction policy for players to come to a, to a new club is the best, I would say it's Frankfurt. But yeah, I'm, I'm sad for Frankfurt because I'm not just sad for the club, I'm sad for the fans who everybody will have seen last season go around Europe and, and really took the Europa League to heart and probably... Um, were better overall and should have definitely made that final. Had they have made the final um, and played the Arsenal team that turned up on the night, I think the Europa League would have gone back to Frankfurt. So it's, it's a disappointment for them. But to lose to lose Jovic, I know why, because of the money. But I think maybe Sebastian Haller will, will be just a little bit too much for them. But if they can, as I say, if there's any team in Germany that can cope with that, that I've got the right background and the right board members to sort it out it is Frankfurt. Um, but yeah, you'd expect them, Bryce, to to navigate these early rounds easy. I don't think they'll be like um, Freiburg were a couple of seasons ago where they went out before the group stages. 
Yeah, and how insane is it that they sold out their game against Flora Tallinn? We're talking about the second round of Europa League qualification here. And there's... I mean, Frankfurt love it in Europe. 55,000 people show up to see a team from Estonia. Just let that sink in here for a moment, okay? 55,000 showed up for... Sorry, it's actually third round of Europa League qualification. I mean, that's just insane. I mean, we were rather gutted that they didn't make the Champions League last year. They had a hell of a run, didn't they? But then they fell short towards the end. I mean, they they would just, you know, there'd be such a, I don't know, a special side, a special atmosphere, you know, just at the highest level in Europe, wouldn't they? Yeah, but you know what? Um, I think that there were signs that Jovic, they, you're not sure whether he will have another year like he did last year, right? And Sebastian Haller, remember the year before, he didn't have a great year either. So when you have the chance to make 100 million euros with two players and you're a Bundesliga side that's still growing and have Frankfurt fall into that category financially and they're putting in a ton of money into their infrastructure and they're going to renovate that stadium because 55,000 seats is not enough. They, there's talks that they're going to expand it into a similar size of stadium like the Allianz Arena or Dortmund, right? 75,000 or 80,000 because they're also going to host the European... Uh, championships in 2024 in Frankfurt so they they need the money right now to grow long term and sometimes you need to make a step backward to make two steps forward and I think Bobic um, I, the, the, when you look at who they, who they signed to Dejan Jovelic um, who, they, who many are joking is basically a better Jovic clone um, <laughs> has a similar name too uh, I think that I think that they can compensate for the departures and still be as competitive. And I don't think they're done with the summer business. Frankfurt will be the kind of side. They're going to wait until the Premier League window closes and transfer fees um, drop. And then they're going to come out there and they're going to sign, I reckon, another striker, probably another defender. And it's going to be someone who we're going to think, okay, this is an interesting signing and going to completely blow us away during the season. Like Remember when they signed Kevin Brinsport-Tang? We were all like, well, what are they doing with this guy? And... He was an amazing impact player for them. And I think that there is players like that available on the market. And I think if a team and if, if a sporting director in Europe can bring someone in like that, it's Freddie Bobic. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So anyone listening uh, new to the uh, podcast, yeah, keep a little eye on their transfer window and as it closes because uh, it could end up being rather busy. I think, guys, basically what we're trying to say is that we're going to need a good old preview pod, aren't we, uh, for, ahead of the the uh, league starting proper um, on the 16th. We're going to have to run through um, as many of the sides as we can and just how we think they're going to get on. I think uh, you both can agree on that. But um, yeah, I think that will more or less uh, do it for today. Uh, Chris, um, what have you got going on um, in the next few days? Um, is there anything you'd like to draw our attention to? Well, yeah, as uh, Manu mentioned, um, both Manu and myself have been working for the International Champions Cup um, team this, this summer. So all the games that have gone on, um, Manu and I have either covered either the, the match or match reports or we, we've had some input with uh, player profiles, etc. So you can find that on the internationalchampionscup.com. Um, you can also find um, our writing on the Football Grad Network um, I do most of my stuff over on uh, fushballstat.com 
whereas Manu will be on football grad because of his specialities as well as football stat. But yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll have some some previews coming out in the next week or two as well um, of of the teams, who to watch, players to watch, etc. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting next couple of weeks. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the interest is not over, you know, just quite yet, is it? Um, Manu, uh, what have you got going on? Uh, I'm sure plenty as always. Yeah, we actually almost, before we forget it, Bryce, um, it's the German Cup this weekend. So uh, we're going to preview, as we always do, you know, we're going to preview the big games. Um, Uerdingen against Dortmund uh, kick it off on Friday. Um, then, of course, Bayern have Energy Cottbus on Monday. And then we're going to probably want to pick one or two other games that we're just going to do a little preview. Then we're going to preview. Um, we have the Europa League previews um, because the Russian sides are now entering the competition. Um, Champions League previews as well because uh, Russian teams and Ukrainian teams and that. So that will, that will be over on Football Grad. Frankfurt preview for FC Vaduz coming your way. Um, I will have... I have, I have an interview with Lothar Matthäus on Pro Soccer USA for those uh, who want to read a little bit beyond um, the Football Grad Network. Um, they, uh, yeah, there's lots of content out there. So you can follow at either me at Manuel Weff, follow Chris Williams um, at Football Grad Live is where all our Football Grad stuff is, including this podcast, other podcasts, all the articles. So uh, I think that is everything, Bryce. It's just been so insanely busy. <laughs> yeah, and I'm feeling that that's not going to change any time soon, is it? Um, but yes, uh, listeners, um, before you know it, we'll be back in your ears uh, with uh, another podcast, which will preview the season coming up and probably talk about the uh, cup action as well. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. And until then, auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.